Well, good morning, and welcome to each of you. So glad to see each of you with us today. Uh, what a wonderful reminder in our Sunday school lesson that life is not about us, it's about Him. There are, um, the, the, I will say it this way, the first five accounts of fire, the Greek word ash in the Bible, are as follows. The first one was when God was making a covenant with Abraham and um, said, when the sun had gone down, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. So God was making a, a covenant with um, with um, Abraham. The second time was when it says the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. There we have judgment. The third instance is um, when Abraham was taking, uh, uh, taking um, his son Isaac up on the mountain to offer him for a burnt offering, and there they took in his hand the fire and the knife. The fourth time, the fourth instance, um, not necessarily the fourth verse, is when the um, um, when Moses was in the wilderness, and the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush, and it said the he appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. There we have presence, God's presence. And the fifth time is um, as where the Lord went before Israel with a, with a uh, pillar of fire. In, uh, and it says the pillar of fire was to lead them along the way. And by night, I'm sorry, the pillar of cloud was to lead them along the way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And that's guidance. With the exception of the, uh, of the fire that Abraham took to sacrifice his son, which he didn't actually do then because God gave him a substitute, we find that all these fires are the fire of God. And, um, you know, I don't know whether when Abraham um, sacrificed that, that ram, um, that God provided whether he used his fire or whether God, God gave fire at that point. I don't know that. Um, it doesn't say that God did, and yet in many times when God was, some significant times in, uh, in uh, sacrifice, God sent fire as a, a, to signify that he was pleased with that sacrifice. Now, in, uh, if you will, um, if you got a moment to turn to Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 10, you'll see two men who took strange fire, and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put 
incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Then there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. There we see the fire of the Lord in the fire of man. The fire of the Lord devoured the men who offered strange fire. Now, it's my understanding that God had lit the fire in the tabernacle, and it was that fire that was to be kept burning, and it was that fire that they were to use in, in offering. There's another fire that um, it talks about in the New Testament and it always gives me a certain burning in my heart when I read this verse. It's, uh, it's when the two came back from, the, um, from their, their travels on the road to Emmaus and, and Jesus had met with them and communicated with them and, and then, you know, Jesus acted like he was going to keep going and they said, no, we'll stay here overnight and so... So he, he, he does. He stays there. Well, he doesn't stay overnight. Um, but he, he comes there to their place. And, and when they're ready to eat, he, he, um, he blesses the food. It says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said, did not our hearts burn? within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. There's something that gets me when I read that. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? My title this morning is Hearts on Fire. Hearts on Fire. There was two things that happened when Jesus spoke to them on the road to Emmaus. One of them is that they were speaking with a risen Lord. It was a risen Lord speaking to them. And the second thing that is significant about that communication is that he was speaking the word of God. You know, scripture is, is, is a powerful thing. God says, it's not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. But there is, just, there is a significant difference between just reading the Bible methodically because you need to and it's time to and you know you're supposed to and between the, between the um, actually meeting Jesus in the word of God where he opens the word to you and you see things and you say, wow, I see this. Because the one will improve your theology, but the latter will light your fire. But if you're like me, you'll look at that and say, yeah, that's a great theory, but how does it work? I would like to take you to another passage that I think gives us a little light on that. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1 and 2. Acts chapter 1, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit Chapter 1, verse 1, the 
former treatise I've made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion with many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so Jesus, before he left, he, he promised them the Holy Spirit. And his direction was to them to wait for it, to wait for it. I think for me, wait is one of the most difficult words in the dictionary. It's one that has impacted probably every area of my life, and so it feels at least. But he says, wait for it. But waiting is not only sitting still and, or doing something, doing whatever you feel like doing, um, hoping, uh, waiting till God comes down from heaven and does something. But we find how they waited if we go on to verse 12. It says, then after Jesus had uh, ascended to heaven, it says, uh, they returned, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is, called, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and all the rest of them. And these are continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. And so you, you find them being there in preparation. They were one accord in prayer. One accord in prayer. There is something about prayer that draws us near to God, that, that gives us, that helps us, to, it prepares our hearts for what God wants to do. But there is something really significant about a group of people who are unified in spirit, unified in purpose, who have a, a direction uh, from God, who are praying together in a unified manner. That is, that is most powerful. In fact, I wonder if perhaps when, uh, when Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I wonder whether speaking the same thing has something to do with praying the same thing, with being one in, in, in what you ask from God. I don't know that. I wonder. It, um, it just struck me that perhaps speaking the same thing may have something to do with our our request from God. Certainly as we pray together and we seek the face of God together, it will unify our speaking the same thing. 
But they, you find them pr being prepared for the promise of the Father by prayer, by unity. You know, when we know what God wants and we pray for that together, that's, that's, that's powerful. And Jesus said, Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And as we receive those things that we ask from the Father, that certainly lights a fire in our souls. There was another aspect of preparation that was spoken of in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And um, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention. I didn't see that one coming, so it sort of surprised me. But it's the aspect of dying. You know, there's... The, the Bible says that, um, that, that God gave the Spirit, that Jesus had the Spirit without measure which suggests to us that the rest of us have it, <clears throat> are limited in the amount of spirit that we have in us, doesn't it? I think so. But what limits the amount of Holy Spirit that you have in your life and I have in mine? And um, I think one of those things is, is there's too much of us. You know, this glass. Um, there's, there's, um, can somebody tell me, how can I get more air in this glass? Dump the water out. Dump the water out. I dumped a little bit out, and now there's a little more air in it than what there was. And you know, I think sometimes our life is that way. There's just too much of us. And, you know, the Holy Spirit, the, the word for spirit is breath. It's sort of like air. And if we want more air, if we want more spirit inside of us, then, then we have to go. Now, Romans chapter 6. I'd like to turn there for a moment if I can. I think I'm just going to break in here. Verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together, remember Leroy talked about planting a seed. If we have been planted, and what happens to the seed when it gets planted? It has to die. If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, and other translations say have been crucified, as past tense, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. And um, so... There's something about us being united with Jesus in his death. Jesus did it. He's the one that died. But as we 
unite with him. We take part in his death. And in some way, his death is transferred to us in the same way his life is. But there is something I, I noticed here um, that the verse I read is, is past tense. But if you go down to verse 11, he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. That is, is present tense. And I think there is a certain sense, he says we are to reckon ourselves, and there's a lot about that I still don't understand. But, but I believe that he's, he's telling us that we need to actively allow the Spirit of God to bring death into those areas of our life that still need to die. Because while we have died, when we are born again, we have died with Christ. And there's a word for that that I can't pull out of my hat right now. But, but there is a practical dying that has to happen. Paul says, I die daily. That to me is, is, is what he's talking about in verse 11. So there is a death that happened. There is a death that is ongoing and happening. And we can, we can, we, we, we're glad for that death that happened because if that didn't, death didn't happen, life can't happen, future death can't happen. But if, if we limit ourselves to that being our only death, then we limit the life. And the life is the Holy Spirit in us. And without that Holy Spirit life increasing in our life, our life becomes stagnant, it becomes dead, it doesn't have the burn that we're looking for. We need the fire, brothers and sisters. We need the fire. I need the fire. And I believe that a lack of allowing God to work this out in our life is what hinders the spirit from working in its fullness. All right, so we find that there was the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's the preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2 now, if we go back to Acts chapter 2, um, we'll find the Holy Spirit coming. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in all in one court in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so here we have another fire. We have the fire of God falling on them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he gave a visual indication of what was happening because it looked like fire that sat on their heads. When the Holy Spirit fell on them, we find that something happened. It says that they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. They began to speak with other tongues. They were in other places, I think it says that they told the mighty works of God. They were not just making, they were not just talking nonsense, they were talking sense. And, and whether or not 
part of the translation happened in the ears and part of it happened in the mouth? I have no idea. But here it says they spoke with other tongues. So I suppose that they were speaking in the, in the tongues of the people that were from all over the place. You know, there's something power about, powerful about hearing the gospel in your own language. I'm always amazed to, to read some of the accounts of, of, um, of, there's a film called the Jesus film that is, is used all over the world in, in evangelism. And there's something that happens when people hear the gospel in their own language, in their own native dialect. They may have heard the gospel in a, in a common language that's used in, in that area. And they sort of get it. But when you hear the gospel in your own language, something goes, uh-huh, that didn't happen before. And I think that's what was happening here. But all the details aside, what, what, what I really want us to understand is that when the Holy Spirit fell, they began to speak the words of God. As the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, not every person, well, let me go back to, um, I, I, I want to think about Peter's sermon. So this, this, Peter comes on and he preaches, and he preaches this marvelous sermon. And I mean, we're talking about the first one that Peter, well, maybe not, because he did send them out to preach, didn't he? So maybe this wasn't Peter's first sermon, but it was the first one after the Holy Spirit fell and we get on down there and we'll see that, that 3,000 souls came to the Lord. Wouldn't you love to preach a sermon where you have that kind of action? Amazing. Amazing. But I would like to, us to also ponder a bit that Peter was not the only one in the upper room. And it says that they, they spoke the word of God and, but we don't hear anything about their sermons. What about the ladies? What did they say? Who did they talk to? We don't know all that. My, my, my point about that is that, you know, God gives us all different gifts. And as the Holy Spirit comes into your life in a more powerful way and you speak the words of God, you're not all going to do it from up here. You're not going to all do it in the same way. You won't all see the same kind of results that Peter saw on that day of Pentecost. But when God changes you more and more into the image of Jesus, things will happen. When God lights your fire, you will speak the words of God. You'll speak it somewhere, somehow, to some audience. Will it be a one-on-one -on -one? Will, will somebody see your face that looks like Moses coming down from the mountain where, where if, if they, they're either amazed by it or they want to hide? I don't know. That's not your choice and it's not my choice. It's God's choice. It says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'd just like to take us back to some of the things we've talked about. 
A burning heart is a result of meeting the master and the word of God. The Holy Spirit is promised to those that ask. You know, the, the, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The Bible says so. It says if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you're not, you don't belong to God. You don't belong to Jesus. But I would like you to notice that Jesus had already breathed on the disciples previously and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. So what was that? Somehow, to me, Pentecost seemed to be something more. And in my heart of hearts, as I watch the people of God and see God move in the hearts of men, I'm convinced that there is more. Because just as I illustrated with this glass, this glass is not full of air. You and I are not full of the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Ghost, but we're not full of him. Is that right? Is, am I saying the truth? So, if God wants to put more of the Holy Ghost in you, that's not unbiblical, is it? I don't think so. I, I would like to suggest to you that there's a great deal more of the Holy Ghost that you can have in your life and I can have in mine than what is currently happening. Jesus tells us, well, the, the, the question is then, um, why... If there is more, why isn't there more? And I think there's a, there's a lot that could be said about that, but I would just like to refer you to the parable of the sower. The seed was sown, but not all parts of the field produced the same amount of grain. The difference was in the preparation and the quality of the soil. And I believe the same is true with you and I. There's a lot of things that, that keep us from allowing the Spirit of God to grow the grain and life out of our lives than what he really wants to do. And so when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit, I don't think he was telling them to go play golf. I don't have a problem with playing golf. But I'm just saying that I don't think that was his, his way. I don't think they were just going out and partying until the Spirit showed up. They needed to want what God had to offer them. There must be a preparation of the heart, a seeking God a dying to self, an openness to the work of God. If we put God in a box and say, God, I want it, but I don't want it that way. I'm not sure you can expect a whole lot. But you know, when the fire falls, there will be a witness. There was for the disciples and there will be for us. 
You know, um, there's just a couple examples I'd like to share with you this morning about fiery hearts. So Paul had, had, had gone to, to capture more Christians and to, uh, to bring them bound. And, and, and God sent a light and knocked Paul flat. And, um, and Paul ended up blind and, and, and uh, waiting there to see what would happen. And, and God... Uh, taps Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go up there. And uh, he told him where, where Saul was, where Paul was. And he said, um, I want you to go up there and, uh, and see this guy. And uh, Ananias says, God, he said, this, this man is, is out to kill all the Christians. You know, he's a dangerous man. And God said, you go. Because I've chosen him to be a vessel for me. And, um, and so he did. And he goes into Paul and he says, Brother Paul. I love it. He says, Brother Paul, the Lord that appeared to you has sent me to, to come and pray for you. And uh, so that you would be filled with the Holy Ghost. And, um, and that's what happened. And, and the, the blindness fell off and, and the Holy Ghost came in. And, but there's a couple things that amazes me. One is, what did Ananias have? What did Ananias have that I don't have? Or that you don't have? If God tapped you on the, soul, on the, on the shoulder and said, I want you to go pray for so-and-so. I want him to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you have it in you? When he says to neglect not the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. If you were the presbyter, would your laying on of hands give anything to the person whose hands you laid them on? Ananias had the power of the spirit. He had a hearing heart. He could hear God when God talked to him and said, go. He had a heart that was willing to trust God's judgment about Saul without fear. And once he knew he had God's direction accurately, he, he went boldly and he proclaimed the message that God gave. I'm, I'm impressed with a man like that. I really am. There's a second part of that story that impresses me, and that's Paul himself. We see Paul, and, and I think maybe this gives us a little hint of what allows the Holy Spirit to come in in greater measure into our lives. One is he was a repentant Paul. Secondly, he was a changed Paul. His goals were different. He realized that the Jesus he had been fighting was a Jesus who had died for him. And then he was a filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul. And when that happened, he was burning with the message that God had given him to share. He realized that Jesus was his Messiah. Jesus was his Savior. He had a message to share. He wasn't ashamed of it. 
He, he declared he wasn't ashamed of it. And you could tell by the way he did, he wasn't ashamed of it. That's in Acts chapter 9. In verse 22, and Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying a weight was known of Saul, and they watched the gates. I think I should have started a little earlier. But, um, so anyway, they laid him down over the wall. He took him to Jerusalem. He went to Jerusalem and um, he spake boldly, verse 29, in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Same song, another verse. There was opposition. There will always be opposition if you carry the gospel. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will always be opposition. There are several things that bring opposition. One is an unsanctified heart. And I'm not talking about the other guys. I'm talking about you and about me. An unsanctified heart will bring opposition. But so will speaking the truth if a sanctified heart. So my, my encouragement to us is that just because, don't assume that because you have opposition, you're on the right road. Opposition is not always a, a result of you or I being right. But I will assure you that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the fire of God and if you're speaking the truth, you will be opposed. It will happen. Now we discussed the fire of God um, and we talked about false fire. And we recognize that God has a judgment on false fire. Not every fire that is hot is of God. There's also a false fire in the spirit. And I think there's probably a lots, of, lots of manifestations of those. There were three of them that came to my mind and I expect that there's lots and lots more. So I'm only gonna mention the three of the three that, that have come to me. Um, one is another gospel. Where there is another means to salvation or sanctification other than the work of Christ. The Bible declares that both of those are through faith and the work of Christ and that obedience is a result of that faith. In some ways, these two look very, very similar to each other. Um, but in reality, the one comes from the fire of God and the other comes from a false fire. There is emotional worship and I'm going to make a disclaimer, I'm not opposed to emotion and neither is God. But the question I think we need to ask is which is the cart and which is the horse? 
You know, there is a, well, I'll just say it this way. Mark told me a story the other day that impressed me, and I've been thinking about it ever since, about him being the promise keepers many years back, and how in one instance there was, the, the presence of God was felt very distinctly. And the next time, and tell me, Mark, if I get this wrong, and the second time he was there, it was not there in the same way. And it seemed like the response, the response was to turn up the music. Is that correct? And you know, that is, that is sort of how we as people operate. If we, if we discover the, pyre, the fire is not there, we just turn up the music. And when I say, and when I say emotional worship can come from the wrong source, that's what I'm talking about. There is an emotion that comes from the excitement of the work of God in your life. And I'm not going to say what the music is going to look like when you crank it up. Okay? But there is a, there is a worship, there is a, an emotion that comes from, from God's fire, and there's an emotion that comes from false fire. There is counterfeit authority. Authority is of God. There is spiritual authority. There's a number of places in Scripture where it says, and God let none of his words fall to the ground. That's spiritual authority. That's fire from God. There is an authority that's based on the, uh, a worldly system of thought. And, um, and Jesus said the rulers of the world, they do it this way, but I don't want you to do it that way. That's false fire. How can we tell the difference? I think the difference can be told partially in what it produces. Does it produce peace and unity? Or does it produce confusion and every evil work? question I have for you and me is, do you have the fire? Do you want the fire? Are you willing to pay the price to get the fire? Because it doesn't come for free. It is free, but it's not free. Because it's like we heard in our Sunday school lesson, if you want the fire, you got to die. You got to die. There's no other way to get it. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. When that fire falls, brothers and sisters, won't nobody be able to put it out. And everybody's going to know about it. That I'm not telling you there's no fire. Not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the fire that, that is to come is a whole lot bigger than anything that you have seen. Brothers and sisters, we haven't seen a real revival in 50 years. I'm not even sure in my time when I saw revival that I saw a real one. I mean, it was revival. And maybe you know something about history that I don't know. 
But we haven't seen we haven't seen the power in a long time. We've seen little bits of it, but we haven't seen the real thing. And I, I, I challenge you to pray for it, to seek the heart of God, that he would pour out his spirit on this generation. We need it. We need it bad. Let's pray. Father, I call out to you this morning and pray, oh God, that you'd have mercy on your people. That you'd bring us to a place that we can, take, we can have your fire. Lord, uh, we haven't seen nothing yet and we know it. It's easy, Lord, for us to just uh, to think that uh, this is just normal. But it's not. It's not normal, Father. You know it's not normal. And I ask you, Father, that you would, that you would give us a vision of what you want to give us. And then, Father, that you prepare our hearts and that you would help us to prepare our hearts to receive the blessing that you want to pour out upon us. And, Lord, I pray that you would light a fire that those who stand against you would not be able to put out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a song.